okay, I'm no Jonah. Y'all can just settle in. <laughs> in preacher speak, we often talk about calls. Um, in the process of ordination, in paperwork for the different regions when you move, when applying for divinity school, there are all these questions about one's call. But a call is not something that just pertains to clergy. A call is the relationship each of us have with God, and it pulls us into God's quarters, God's will. And frankly, I have a hard time describing call. So if you do, we're in common company. Some people seem to have a direct line to God's megaphone and know what to do and they know when to do it. Others seek but have difficulty discerning God's direction. Some find it difficult to distinguish between their voice and God's voice. Others just don't like what they hear. Some fall out of rhythm with God and spend years in hopeful anticipation of once again hearing that call, feeling that connection. Some are in rhythm and feel in place until they're just not and remain that way. Regardless of what some folks say, relationships with God are not simple. And some of my favorite characters in the Bible are the irascible ones. They're the ones that seem the most unlikely folks to be called by God. And Jonah is one such fellow. The whole book of Jonah might be about God's call, a vocation, and the main character is someone who argues with God, who runs from God, and frankly thinks God doesn't know what God is supposed to do. You see, God called Jonah and said he needed to go to Nineveh. Jonah was to go and tell everyone in Nineveh to stop being wicked, or they were going to be destroyed. And Nineveh was a really big city. It, it, when they say it takes three days to cross it, y'all have probably seen that meme of Houston. You know, Houston, you're an hour from Houston when you drive. It, it made me think of that. Now, Jonah didn't want to have any part of what he considered God's misguided plan. He didn't want to travel to Nineveh. He thought the God of Israel had absolutely no business dealing with the Ninevites or any of the Assyrians. They were not a part of the chosen people. They did not worship the God of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And I'm certain Jonah thought this task of God's was just silly. So he tried to escape God. He got on a ship and he headed out to sea. And as he was sailing along, a huge storm arose. And it seemed the waves and the wind would sink the ship. And the sailors were rowing as hard and as fast as they could. But the storm bested them. The sailors were at wit's end. And they started asking, who is on this boat? Who is on this boat? And they wanted to know where everyone was from 
and what gods they worshipped, and they wanted to know if by any chance any of these people on this boat had ticked off their god, because it seemed that something bad was going on. Well, Jonah fessed up. He told them that he was supposed to carry out a mission from God and that he thought it wasn't a good mission and that he was running away from God. So maybe the God of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel and Leah was mad at him. Well, things had gone from bad to worse. It didn't seem that Jonah had much to look forward to. So he suggested the best thing for everyone was to throw him overboard. I'm just done with this. Everybody thought that was a bit dramatic until the storm went from terrible to extraordinarily terrible. So the sailors were happy to comply with Jonah's request. They threw him over the side, and no sooner had they jettisoned Jonah, the winds and the waters calmed, and up comes a giant fish that just swallows him. Now, the next thing we know, Jonah is sitting in the belly of this big fish, and is often the case when we find ourselves in that proverbial smelly fish belly, Jonah had a newfound devotion to God. Since he doesn't have anything else to do, he prays and he promises to do whatever God asks as long as he can get out of that smelly belly. Well, the fish coughs up Jonah and deposits him on dry land. Once there, God reiterates the command that Jonah is to go to Nineveh and tells its people of their wicked ways. Well, Jonah begrudgingly goes to Nineveh and walks around the city for three days preaching repentance. In my mind, I see him with like a big sandwich board and a sign, the end is near. Jonah was at best a reluctant preacher. He didn't want to be in Nineveh, and he detested the people to whom he was preaching. It's hard to believe that he was any good at his job. But that said, his warning worked. The king of Nineveh decreed that everyone was to dress in sackcloth and participate in many days of lamentation and fasting. Well, God's heart was softened by the contrition of the Ninevites, so Nineveh was spared from peril. Now, one might think that Jonah was happy with his success, but that was not the case at all. In fact, Jonah was livid. He could not believe God's choices and thought God was wrong to spare the people who were not the people of Israel. Jonah was prejudiced. This was rock bottom for Jonah. He said that he'd rather be dead than to see a God who cared about Nineveh. So he goes to the side of the road to pout. He sits under a bush that shades him from the sun, and that gives him some comfort. The next day, one and one wonders if God wasn't tweaking Jonah's beard, 
God sends a worm that eats the bush, all of it. And without the shade and the protection from the plant, Jonah is buffeted by wind and scorched by the sun. So a sunburnt, exhausted, and furious Jonah lashes out at God. You would think that he would learn by now. He tells God that he was more concerned about the bush than he was with God. And then he needed that bush, and without it, he didn't care, and he was angry enough to die. To which God says, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. You're angry enough to die just because you don't get what you want? Just because you think you know better than I? You want this bush? You care about this bush? Well, you know what? I wanted the people of Nineveh. I cared about the people of Nineveh. And you couldn't have cared less about them. Then the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there were more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? And also there were many animals. And you want this bush. And you're going to pitch a fit because you don't get what you want. Hmm. Well, the call in Mark is quite different, perhaps the polar opposite of Jonah's call. Jesus was ready to begin his ministry, and one day he walks up to Simon, Andrew, James, and John and asks them to follow him. Remarkably, they drop everything and take off with him. Now, we don't know why. Perhaps they knew Jesus before now. Mark's not very generous with details. Perhaps they were ready for an adventure. Perhaps they were stuck in life and needed something new to shake them out of their doldrums. I can imagine Zebedee might have been pretty ticked off with all these folks just taking off, leaving him with much work to do. Jonah's call was clear, but he resisted it. He resented it. The four disciples had no clue about their calls other than that they'd been invited. I wonder if they knew, if they had known what lay before them, if they would have followed. Regardless of our reactions, our calls are are invitations into a relationship with God. And calls pull us into an uncertain future. Jonah was willing to be called into a relationship with God as long as it meant that Jonah knew and even got to define all of the rules. But when God planned on sharing divine mercy with people that Jonah found repugnant, not only did Jonah question God's wisdom, he would have rather died than seen others given grace. We learned that when first asked, the disciples dropped everything and followed Jesus. Yet, later on, even as they followed, even as they showed up, they wondered what was going on. And sometimes they were frustrated with Jesus 
and sometimes he was with them. Calls also come to communities. In the book of Jonah, we learn that a call went out to a very large city of Nineveh, which brings us to you. I've asked so many of you, and I will continue to ask you, what brought you to this community and what keeps you here? Each of you is here because you've heard a call in one form or another, and each of you is on a particular path with its unknowns, the joys and frustrations that lie before you, which you cannot know. And your congregation has a call. Together you are determined, and you're not deterred by setbacks. When two lovely congregations had become quite small, you didn't lose heart. You merged to become one small, lovely congregation. And against all financial odds, you built a church full of wonderful and unusual asymmetry, <laughs> which I kind of love. <laughs> Before any, almost any other UCC or DOC church in Austin approached the concept of being open and affirming, you accepted this challenge. You accepted this call. The thing about calls is that they compel us into an unknown future. Jonah was confident that he knew better than God what God should do. I seriously doubt any of the disciples really would have given up their lives had they, they known that in just a few short years, this enlightened friend would be betrayed by one of their closest friends, that this friend would be tried and executed, and that they would be on the run and hiding in fear for their own lives. One of the greatest problems the church faces is that as a group, we tend to look backwards and inward when calls compel us forward and outward. We become nostalgic about other times that we recall fondly, and we start to fret, like Jonah, thinking that we might know what's best. Who is God calling the United Christian of Austin to be? I believe with all my being that you are called to be the beloved community right here at Palmer and Mopac, such an odd little place for a church. I wonder how you will shape your children, how you will serve your neighbors. I wonder how you will develop your land. What do you hear God calling? What are those rumblings? Do we need to be silent so we can have the shell of God up to our ear? I'm here to journey with you for a while, and I hope that through this time, you will be listening for your call. Do not allow yourselves to become fearful of new paths and opportunities. If you find yourself saying, well, that's not the way we do it here, or we used to do, know that you're looking backwards. 
you might be sitting in a smelly belly. And that's not where calls lie. One of the distinguishing characteristics of calls is the fact that calls are not stagnant. They move us forward into places unknown, often places we wouldn't choose for ourselves, places where the many faces and facets of God are made known. You know, Jonah didn't have to end up in that belly of a fish or sunburned and parched at the end of the city wishing he could die. Those predicaments were of his own making, all because he wasn't getting exactly what he wanted from God. He was pouting. And as we begin new journeys, let us keep our heads up and our eyes forward, walking with confidence, even if it's scary, even if it's unknown, even if it's uncomfortable, because we'll be walking into the divine possibilities of God's call. Amen.